like. It's a podcast. It's an audio-based platform. Splatform. <laughs> Did we ever talk about the Nintendo fiasco? What Nintendo fiasco? How they were killing uh, Smash uh, tournaments and their other games, like Splatoon. Was no, it Splatoon? No, Splatoon's but Nintendo. I, I did hear about that because the people in my Smash community were... I bet they were talking about it. <laughs> I, I honestly haven't run through it, though, yet. It's a whole thing, man. Well, it's, well it's, Nintendo has always been anti-Smash Brothers. Yeah, I'm sure we hit that on our cast. Or was it a Smash cast? Were we smashed? Yeah, we did. <laughs> Something else is crazy and sort of relevant to so many things are crazy. Is what, what is HBO Max yeah. or in Discovery seems to be like just getting rid of a bunch of HBO. It's like a giant content. bonfire where things just What's keep... crazy though, I just want to say this. Okay. Out of Hulu, Netflix, HBO, whatever the HBO Max was like becoming my favorite streaming service. Like they had so much good shit on there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're just taking stuff off. So they just announced they're getting rid of Westworld? All of Westworld? Yeah, I don't know where it's going. The show? What it's, do you mean? Well, it's it's canceled. They canceled the show. Yeah, but it's just going to a streaming platform. Because their Discovery oh, is? is spreading their stuff around. Oh. They want... They're, they're like peanut butter and jelly. Like, they're just spreading everything. Yeah, well, they don't want their peas touching their corn. Yeah, they want it somewhere else. So, But it's crazy, because Westworld was like... Good? I mean, season well, one's good. For a while, I was going to say it was like the bedrock, you know. Yeah. For a couple of years, because there was like Game of Thrones. If you think about the 2010s and like landmark HBO properties, it was like Game of Thrones, Westworld, and maybe like one or two other things. So to see that gone, and it wasn't the only thing. I think Weddens, Whedon's, God, that's an old cut. <laughs> Joss Whedon. Whedon's... Um, <laughs> He did a show right before he you got canceled. Did it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, right before Whedon got canceled, he did the Nevers, and that's also gone. So I'm curious what else. Is he will go. still canceled? You think? I don't know. Can you make a comeback like Louis C.K. is trying like to make Kevin a comeback? Like Kevin Spacey? That's going to be tough. Kevin Spacey's not coming back. He's coming back. What do you mean? He's coming somewhere. The point is, I don't know if Whedon will be gone forever, but he his show was was I've heard it was good. The Nevers was like. Uh, oh, Victorian era, yeah, yeah. like witches or something. Superpowered uh, I, women. I watched an episode of it. I didn't like it. Oh, well, we can kind of. He's hit or miss for yeah. sure. But HBO, what the fuck? Yeah, F- fix your shit. I just feel bad for the creators. I do too, and and also all the stuff that I really liked on HBO. Uh, but today we're not talking about Discovery HBO. We're talking about. A little franchise or a little, little production, a, <laughs> a little production studio I like to call Universal. Uh, we're talking about this fictional biopic. Why is it? Is did Universal produce this? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He they produce all of Spielberg stuff. So there's going to be a Fableman's ride at Universal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, anyway, it's a fictional biopic of uh, this person's life. The person is Steven Spielberg. Yeah. The the world class worldwide known well known i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> director truly needs no introduction i think we did a little spielberg background maybe on et which wasn't that long ago mm. well i've been talking about spielberg this whole podcast to anyone that had listened so uh jurassic park is my favorite film spielberg he's your favorite guy st- still is one of my favorites yeah out of a lot of other really good prolific directors proficient not prolific yeah 
Um, Steven Spielberg is for the work that he has done and the inspiration that he has provided for the world since, you know, just like early filmmaking days. He's just one of my favorites. He's, he has, there's such a, a magic behind his filmmaking and that magic has exponentially grown with the incorporation of modern computer graphic imagery. And so his most recent stuff like BFG or Ready Player One or anything after artificial intelligence, maybe Sans Minority Report, a lot of that stuff is, you know, very dreamy. He's clearly able to to make a, a dreamscape and and play in like the these alternate realities and worlds. And that's the thing that Steven Spielberg has always wanted to do is take people to a world they've never seen. And he's definitely done that. But some of the magic of having limited resources and shooting on film, I feel like, you know, that he had in his earlier works like Jaws and E.T. and Close Encounters and um, Indiana Jones, a lot of that magic kind of is is spread a little thin. Um, So when I had heard that he was going to make uh, sort of a, a biopic about his life, I was so stoked because I was like, okay, if it's him in suburbia uh, and it's a time period piece, it's going to be amazing. And uh, we just saw it and I absolutely adored this movie. Um, it wasn't everything I had hoped, but it was a lot of what I had hoped. You wanted more? You hoped for more? Yeah, I think, I, I think when I, f- I mean, so, so when I thought about, of like kind of a, a biopic based on his life. I thought maybe it might be a little bit more dreamy, like a little bit more wonder esque, kind of like how ET was. So, a little but, less... but there was a lot of, you know, harsh realities mm-hmm. facing, you know, adult circumstances as um, a young person, as, as like a young person in high school and really coming to terms with like dealing with, you know, your anxiety and stress that, you know, family of origin, there's a, there's a lot going on here um, in this movie that was a little bit less magical and it, not, not as a detriment to the film. The film was still amazing and I loved it, you know, for what it is. I just, I, I had no idea what to expect. I, when I imagined what it would be in my mind, it was more like magical lights and, and, kid actors and things like that. I, I honestly had no idea what to expect. I didn't even know we were going to be following a teenage Spielberg most of the time. So, or a fableman <laughs> anyway. Yeah. How did you feel about this movie? I liked it a lot. I also knew pretty much nothing about it, but I didn't have any expectations. And I, I honestly couldn't remember what the last most recently made Spielberg film that I've watched is, you know, I've, we have been watching his classics, but I can't remember what the last movie is. So I don't really have a, I didn't really know what to expect going into it other than what I had seen in the trailers. You saw Ready Player One. Oh, I did see that. But yeah. I don't think of that as a Spielberg movie. <laughs> no, you said his most recent. I think that was one of his most recent. Yeah, I did see that. That's true. I, I think I just I, I, I lump that in with like Alita and then it just goes into the trash can or in the recycling <laughs> bin sure. of uh, memories that don't really matter. Anyway, those those were fine movies. Uh, for a Sunday matinee, but <laughs> with your kids <laughs> and, you're, um, and you're drunk <laughs> and you're blasted, you're you're just plastered. You're not even there. 
<laughs> no, but uh, no, I I loved it. I honestly was surprised by how much I loved a it. A West Side and, Story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I feel like this was on par with that in terms of not just my enjoyment of it, but what Spielberg can do when he's. I don't want to say going back to his roots, but like you said, not yeah. leaning so much on yeah. computer-generated... In fact, West Side Story had more of that magic that I was kind of talking about. Yeah, and I can understand why Spielberg maybe wouldn't want to lean too much into the that dreamlike yeah. space, because this was very grounded. And I think, it, for me, that was the greatest strength of this movie, was mm-hmm. the grounded drama of his family. Sure. And the relationship between him and his parents, and his parents with each other. Yeah, you want to talk about that and who the cast was and sure how they were portrayed yeah we got some stars on this cast uh his father again this is a kind of a biopic but they don't use the word spielberg in the film in the film their family name is fableman so papa bert fableman was played by paul dano the riddler yes he was for those who don't know uh michelle the dano (laughs) the dano Michelle Williams played his mother, Mitzi Fableman. Michelle Williams is also my cousin's former prom date. Wow. True story. The world just keeps getting smaller. Or does the world stay the same size and we just get bigger? We fill it up. (laughs) For spoiler reasons, uh, family friend, (laughs) Benny Lowy. Oh, no. He's played by Seth Rogen. Yes, he was. He was great. <laughs> There's a little cameo by Judd Hirsch as Uncle Boris, a distant or not so distant relative. Distant um, emotionally, maybe. He was, a... <laughs> he was great. Uh, and so we followed the kids of the Fableman family across different points in their lives. And the high school version, which we spend most of our time with in the film, Sammy Fableman, who is Steven Spielberg's proxy, was played by Gabriel LaBelle. First time I'd seen him anywhere. The sisters of that timeline are Julia Butters as Reggie and Keely Karsten as Natalie. Younger Sammy was played by Matteo Zorian, and the cast will just kind of go on and on. But I think that's the gist of it. That's great. Yeah, and so let's talk about, you want to just what's say the really story? Quick, Yeah, what's the story? What's the dynamic between his parents that... Yeah, the whole thing is framed kind of uh, in two ways. It's Sammy Fableman or Steven Spielberg's relationship with art and with the cinema. Uh, And the backside of that is it's set against kind of the dissolution of his parents' marriage. Due to factors that are just natural, you know, like falling out of love. But then the, the care that breaks the camel's back, as they say, was that his mother cheated on his father. Uh, with Seth Rogen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should just. We say, don't know the extent of the cheating, but we should say too that like, we don't know what happened, yeah. and also, the falling out of love thing was a point in the film. Yeah, we don't know if they actually fell out of love or if, because because Dan, Paul Dano's character was not a bad guy. It was that he was just more of like a, a, a critical thinker. And and it he was, was the perfect mismatch of individuals. He was so he was so much in a different space all the time, intellectually yeah. that she could never really connect with him. And she was more of this dreamer, artist, artist, and so Free spirit. And but she was also a giver. And the other thing, though, I think about Paul Dano is he was also a giver. So you had mm-hmm. this relationship where these two people were actually giving the whole time to each other and their kids. But and and they also like 
on some level loved each other. Yeah. But, but it was like, there was never actually like, um, it, it seemed there was never like a, I think there's connection, like, yeah. like, like a, like a romantic connection, if that makes sense. Yeah. I could go on a tangent about what I think about that, but I would yeah. love for you to do that. That's what this podcast is for. We don't have enough time. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, I think there's, there's different components to love. And like you said, I think that, that connection or whatever you want to call it, that spark, that flare, that, uh, well, you know, sexual angle. <laughs> <laughs> Scandalous. Remember, this is a family cast. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was either lost or perhaps never there, but there was the bedrock, which is that that kind of deep emotional friendship. Mm. That kind of intimacy was there. Anyway, this is one of the reasons why I love this film is because of this dynamic. Because like you said as well, these were two people, I don't, I don't really you know, place so much blame on either party right? because they were just two people that kind of just didn't really click together yeah. in the way that needed to happen for this marriage to be one of the marriages that really work, <laughs> of which there are a few, but that's another conversation. Anyway, yeah, so that's the story is uh, Sammy Fableman's parents over the course of the film just become sort of more and more distant until it, the marriage eventually um, ends because of the cheating and then whatever that meant, whatever that entails, she then goes to live with Seth Rogen's character. I'm just going to keep referring to him as Seth Rogen's character. And uh, at that point, Sammy is around the time he's graduating high school and he's moving out to college. And that's how the film ends with him, with his dad. I think they're in L.A. Yeah. And it's he's the pursuing. beginning of his career in yeah. what starts as television and then becomes film. So and the, the last thing that we see is the, you know, the kid who is Steven Spielberg, who is just God, that actor. Gabriel LaBelle killed it. So good. Yeah. I absolutely loved him. And he, the thing is, is he felt like Steven Spielberg to me. He did. Like he talked like him. He, he I was just like blown he away. He almost even looked like him. If you've yeah. seen young Spielberg. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. hundred um, percent. But he, he goes and interviews, you know, tries to get on a set. There's this really classic tale about Spielberg sneaking onto a production studio and just working there and then eventually getting hired. They didn't touch on that. And I was kind of bummed. I was hoping that would be it, but Anyway, so across the hall from where he's interviewing is John Ford, this this famous director who's directed all the stuff that Spielberg just idolized, um, and and was the reason that you know he was even making films himself, and he got to meet him. But John Ford is played by D- David Lynch, yeah, of all people. Perfect casting. <laughs> I and that alone was like, okay, I love. Did this you know movie. he was going to be in there? I did, but I forgot. Oh. And so when I saw him, I was like, oh, David Lynch is in this movie and that's him. He's playing John Ford. And I totally forgot. Yeah. Um, but David Lynch is the person we reference all the time who makes really weird, absurdist, surrealist, strange film. And, and we absolutely <laughs> love because he's such a weird guy and an amazing filmmaker, a true artist. Um and, and uploads daily to YouTube. He uploads. <laughs> he does. <laughs> the weather report. Oh my! He literally just talks about the weather for uh, three to five minutes a day. Yep. And um, anyway, David Lynch is amazing, and the fact that he's in a Spielberg film, yeah. specifically though a Spielberg film about Spielberg's life. Love to it, be on that phone call. Oh my god! When Stephen asked David, hey, "I know." 
I just need you to be John Ford for a few minutes. And David goes, well, yeah, that's not, I would love to do that. That sounds great, Steven. I love Spielberg films. <laughs> I love John Ford films. Yeah, I love John Ford and I love the weather. <laughs> it's so funny because that interaction, not only is it almost pound for pound the way Steven tells it, you know, in his own life, this is a popular story about him meeting John Ford, but it feels like it could just be David Lynch because he's smoking a cigar, I think, right? Yeah. And the way he he sends little Sammy Fableman or Steven Spielberg off with this one quick line about... Um, Horizon, uh, Horizon Lines. Yeah, about like... Uh, Which art. is true. Yeah. What's interesting, low horizon or horizon top? Never in the middle. Yep. You want you want to be in the thirds, everybody. Filmmaking uh, 101. We learned that in 101. Yeah. <laughs> Film 101. <laughs> go listen to our cult podcast episode, episode 200. Anyway, you go. Yeah, well, that, that was just it. And he comes in with kisses on his face. And mm-hmm. I think in, in the... Oh, yeah. He's, got he's covered in it. And in the true story, he said he was... Uh, John Ford was chewing on a handkerchief or something. Oh, my gosh. But in, in this in the movie, David comes in. I think he just has the cigar. Yeah. Something quirky. Just an incredible send-off of the film. And then the last shot, too, of them walking off the back lot and then how the camera corrects itself to put the horizon yep. in the right plot, in the right spot. Amazing was, ending. Yeah. I've the, never seen uh, Spielberg do that before, where he breaks the fourth wall a little bit. That was really, I, I've never seen that before from Spielberg. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. This this was just a really cool film. And there's there's more to talk about, but. Oh, so much more. I mean, uh, we, the, yeah, we didn't even touch on the, the religious themes. And that, <laughs> yeah. Well, not, oh, even, yeah. not even the girl, but just how he was always made fun of for being Jewish. And right. even though he really didn't like identify much as being Jewish, he, yeah, uh, you know, it was still a point. Of, and then the, the thing with like the, the bully who like completely yeah. Spielberg like uh, put him in his place, I guess is the best way to put it. And then, and he, and that bully that like, came to terms and like had to deal with that was so crazy. That, it was so, yeah. And I, I, so I came out asking the question and this is the thing I want to touch on before we end, how much of this was true to Spielberg's life and how much wasn't and how much was sensationalized or altered. I still don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I'm sure there are people who have come to a conclusion. And I want to say, without having done any research almost at all, that it's probably pretty close. (laughs) Or at least all the major beats are are in there. Yeah. And what I wanted to say before um, is that it's it's cool to see that level of vulnerability. I mean, obviously Spielberg has this prestige and this almost larger-than-life persona, right, as one of the greatest living directors. Right. Or just greatest directors of all time. But yeah, there, the whole point of the film about art versus like family or like love versus duty, that kind of right. classic dynamic being the core of the film and just summed up so beautifully by Judd Hirsch's little cameo. For sure. It felt like Steven was really being vulnerable. Spielberg. Yes. <laughs> um, but also Steven. Hello. The one across from me. me. Um, <laughs> with this talking about himself and about... I mean, I don't know much about Spielberg's own home life. I don't even know if he has kids, but when you live this life of celebrity and of mm-hmm. master storyteller for the ages, just right. spending your whole life making these movies, he uh, it, he's doing it for reasons that he, he's sacrificing other parts of himself. And 
this, according to the film anyway, this whole love in the first place for cinema was, it came about almost as a coping mechanism for him to, to spend time making these movies and kind of using that as a way to deal with his home life and his parents, what they were going through. And the whole method through which he even finds out that his mother was having this fling with Seth Rogen's character is it, it was on his film. He captured it on film. And so the way they use those instances in, in the movie, it's so powerful too. Like he right. takes her into the closet and he yeah. shows her the film on the wall. Yeah. His it's, relationship with his mom was, I mean, yeah, it was unlike my relationship with my mom. Yeah. It's, I, it, I, I didn't have a relationship like that. It's really fascinating. I, I and I, like I said before, maybe that I, I feel like I can connect with this film in a, in a deep way because of his relationship with his parents. It feels in some ways similar to my own in some ways not, but right. Um, yeah, it was really beautiful. And there are a lot of movies this year, actually, it's kind of funny, that are kind of a love letter to cinema. This is probably going to end up being my favorite one because of that added depth. Right. You know, it was both a love letter to cinema and a love letter to him and his family and to this... There was a lot of depth in this movie. This larger conversation about, yeah. like... Uh, the human condition. Yeah. So. <laughs> 100%. Really cool. Yeah, there was a lot of depth in this movie that I didn't expect. I want to see it again. I was actually thinking about taking my mom to see it, but haven't done it yet. It's probably going to be in theaters for a few weeks, few months. Who knows? It's a Spielberg movie. Yeah. A lot of other movies are really coming. <laughs> they don't spend a lot of time in theaters these days. Even the ones that aren't streamer, like Netflix flicks. That's true. The But uh, I think this will be one of the enduring pictures because it is Steven Spielberg's yep. film. And uh, he doesn't have a lot of movies left, probably. You know, he's pushing what? You know what, what the movie's doing next? He's, oh. He's redoing Bullet. Oh, that that's original, right. Like Bullet, which is the um, Steve McQueen. Yeah. Yep. And and I think Matthew McConaughey is playing him. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Just keep going, man. Keep making movies. Do do more like these, like West If Side. I can just get an E.T. 2, I'll be so happy. Do you have a pitch for that script? No. Oh. It would, it would mainly, I mean, my pitch would be do what that cell phone commercial did. Oh, <laughs> E.T. And just make it that, just but longer. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, just YouTube E.T. cell phone commercial. <laughs> or or E.T. at Christmas or something with grown-up Elliot. Anyway, right here at the end, we'll play something from John Williams. Yeah. Was well, that his last official score? I don't know. It keeps people keep saying that like this is the last time John Williams is doing the doing score. Star Wars and yeah. then Obi Wan Kenobi series comes out and he's like oh I'm gonna well, do the did score he for do that. New Indiana Jones I don't know I mean, maybe, <laughs> I, maybe who knows it's not out yet uh, but yeah here here's this uh, song from John Williams. Mm-hmm. 